Good morning. Lord of all. That's who Jesus is. We're learning about him, and Luke's trying to make it clear to us. That's why we're studying the book of Luke, so that we understand better who Jesus is. By the way, that's a lifetime endeavor. You don't learn it all at once. You need to review it all the time, be reminded all the time. And by the way, this morning, uh, worship team, thank you for putting that all together. We were focusing a lot on, did you notice how good God is? and what he does for us, his people, that teaches us a little bit about who our God is and what he, how he wants to work in us and through us to the world. You know, we're one congregation here at Grace Chapel, a family we like to call ourselves, but we're just one of countless congregations, not only here in our local area, Delaware County, Philadelphia. Think about how many good churches there are that preach the gospel of Christ. But just think about the world. How many congregations there are that are seeking to know God a little better, seeking to do his will, seeking to make disciples who know God, who love God, and serve God so that they go out and make other disciples. That's why we meet together. One of the reasons we meet together to encourage one another to know our God and to grow in that and to know him so we serve him and love him and show who Jesus is to the world. Want to do a neighbor nudge so you get to talk for a few minutes. So if you're near a neighbor, okay, someone you know, or you can do it by yourself, you don't have to talk. What has Luke been telling us about who Jesus is? So Let me give you a clue, okay? Think about the people that Luke has introduced us to and what they said about who Jesus was. So think about what Zechariah said about Jesus. Remember, he was the priest who doubted that uh, God was going to give him a son. Or think about what Mary sung in her song when she found out she was carrying the Messiah. Think about what the angels said and the shepherds said. Think about what Anna and Simeon did, said about Jesus in the temple. What did Jesus say about himself? What did John the Baptist say about who Jesus was? Who do you say Jesus is? What do you believe about Jesus? Talk to one another just for a couple minutes. What do you believe or know about who Jesus is? Talk to one another. Thirty seconds. <laughs> All right, I'd like to gather you back in. Thank you for sharing with one another. Wish I could hear all that was being said. 
I'm sure it was good stuff. You know, the Bible, God's word to us, God's truth, makes clear, both in the Old and New Testaments, the whole Bible's very consistent telling us about who Jesus is, who the Messiah was going to be and what he was going to do. Some familiar verses, just real quickly, from the prophet Isaiah. We, we, we hear this verse often at Christmas time. His name shall be called what? Wonderful. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And, on, and the government will be on his shoulders, and the increase of his, of his government, and it will be a, a government of peace, and there will be no end to it. And he will rule from David's throne. In, in, in Isaiah 61, Jesus read this in the city of Nazareth, the town of Nazareth, his hometown. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and because the Lord has anointed me, to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Maybe you're brokenhearted today. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So it was clear that God promised he was going to send a Messiah, a Savior, and what he was going to be who he was, God Almighty, and also what he would do. In Colossians chapter 1, I have, have that on, 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 the, on the board, on the, on the PowerPoint. Who is Jesus? Well, in Colossians chapter 1, we're told this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Bef thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. And just before that, it tells us that he came here, was sent by God to transfer us from the dominion of darkness into God's kingdom, to redeem us, to save us, to purchase us back to give us the forgiveness of sin. So it's clear that Jesus is God and Savior and Lord of all. Is Jesus Lord of all? Today you need to decide to say yes or no. What have you said? You have to decide. And to say yes means that you're going to have new priorities because Jesus is Lord of all. That means my living's going to be different. I'm going to place my life into God's hands to let his grace change me and transform me because I believe Jesus is Lord of all. If you say, no, I don't believe he's Lord of all, then what you're saying is, I will stay in charge of my life. I will disregard his word, his commands. I won't worry about him. I'll be in charge of my life. But there's a great difference between those two choices. The yes, he is Lord of all, leads you to a path with Christ, leads to life, into God's eternal presence presence, to enjoy his kingdom, to enjoy his grace now, and to joy even joy now in spite of trouble, but will end in great joy 
and great comfort and happiness that can't be described or experienced in this world. But when we say no, that's on a path that leads to death, eternal death, which is forever separated from God's grace. And we don't know what it's like living without God's grace because this world is experiencing God's grace even in the midst of all the trouble. God's grace is carrying us now. And if you're separated from God and his grace forever, then you will be living without hope of escaping, ever escaping evil's turmoil and, and the suffering. There will never be peace. There will never be joy outside of God's presence. So when we say, yes, Jesus is Lord and believe it, or when we say, no, I'm not interested in having him as Lord of all or believing it, there are two different paths, and one is, leads to heaven, the other leads to a place called hell, separated from God. One leads to light, one leads to darkness. One path leads to righteousness and its joys and its peace, or one leads to sin's endless turmoil forever. It's the difference between life and death. Pretty heavy stuff. So what do you say about Jesus being Lord of all, not only all of the world, but all of me, all of you. So Luke tells us about these events, two Sabbath events, and we're going to look at Jesus praying before he chose his disciples so that we know who Jesus is. Luke, for some reason, guided by God, so we know it has a purpose, wants us to know these events because it helps us understand who Jesus is, how merciful he is, how truthful he is, so that we choose that Jesus is Lord of all, and we believe it and live differently because of it. So let's take a look. It's 11.30, in case you didn't know that. We need to get moving. Who is Jesus? Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. We had uh, Greg read the first 11 verses of chapter 6. So Sabbath event number one, okay? Uh, Jesus and his disciples are traveling through the grain fields and they're eating grain. They're picking grain and they're rubbing it in their hands so that the, it, it's edible and they're eating grain because why would they eat grain like that? Because they're what? They're hungry. And by the way, in Deuteronomy chapter 23, there's a couple verses and what they were doing was totally allowed by God. I mean, let me read these verses. In, in Deuteronomy 23, it says, if you go into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes, as many as you wish, but you shall not put them in any of your bags. So you can't bring a basket and start collecting all the grapes. You can eat what you can pick and move on. That was okay because God wanted to take care of people who were hungry. He also goes on to say, if you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hands, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. So you can't bring the tools to harvest a lot of grain, but you can eat what you can pick along the way as you're traveling or as you're sleeping at night, whatever the situation was. So the Pharisees are watching Jesus. They're just looking for something to get him into trouble. They wanted to, to dis make, dis put a disclaimer on his ministry to prove he was a fake. 
So their objections were not to the actions. The disciples weren't stealing anything. God said it was okay to do that. They were upset because they were doing, doing it on Saturday. They were doing it on the seventh day. They were doing it on the Sabbath. The Pharisees and the scribes and the lawmakers through the years had made up all these rules about how to keep the Sabbath because they didn't understand what the Sabbath was for. So when Jesus and his disciples picked this grain and ate it, they broke four man-made laws. Let me just go over them real quick. Okay, they picked the grain. So that wasn't allowed on the Sabbath because that was harvesting. You weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath, so you couldn't harvest grain. But by picking it, they said, you're working because you're harvesting. Okay? Second thing is you're rubbing it in your hands to thresh it. That's not allowed either. Okay? You're throwing the chaff up into the air. That's winnowing wheat. You're not allowed to do that on the Sabbath. And then you're eating it, which means you were preparing the food, which isn't allowed on the Sabbath. So you've broken four laws. You're guilty. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad that's going on, right? Yeah. Jesus uses scripture, though, to answer the accusation. If you have your Bibles open, or your phone, if you're using it for the Bible, you may turn to Matthew chapter 12 because there's a parallel uh, story here, the same events going on. And Jesus, Matthew records what Jesus said like Luke, but some extra things. In, in, in Matthew's gospel, chapter 12, starting at verse 3, he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat and not nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest. Or have you not read in the law how the Sabbath, the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Have you not read... Well, of course they read. They knew the law, but they didn't understand it because they didn't really love God or know God. As, Tim, as Paul wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, they had the appearance of godliness, but they denied its power, always learning but never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. These men were choking on a gnat, but they were able to swallow a camel. Why didn't David get in trouble? David was hungry, if you know the story. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 21. David was on running away from King Saul for his life. And he went to the temple, and his men that were with him were hungry, and the priests gave them bread that they were not supposed to eat. And David was not guilty. He did not break the law of God. No one was supposed to eat that but the priests. So why didn't David get in trouble? Because God desires what? Mercy more than keeping ceremonial law. Mercy overrides legal niceties. We need to take hold of this truth when we live our lives. God prefers mercy over his laws at the appropriate application. I want you to notice something, too. Don't miss the parallels between David and Jesus here. 
David was God's chosen servant, right? He was the anointed king running for his life, hated by those who should have loved him. And he needed bread, he needed food, he was hungry. He had a band of men. And here's Jesus, God's anointed one, the greater one than David. David's son, the son of David, but the, a title of the Messiah. Hungry, needing food with his band of men. And he gave a claim, uh, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I created the Sabbath. I know what it's for. I know what's right to do on it. I know what's not right to do on it. You, I don't answer to you, Pharisees. You answer to me. That's a bold claim. If David could eat holy bread without wrongdoing, then Jesus could walk through the grain fields, the Lord of all, and eat grain. The Pharisees should have had their Sabbath food ready. And instead of condemning Jesus, said, you're hungry? Come to my house and eat food that's been prepared before the Sabbath so we're not breaking any laws and eat your fill. Come to my house and be filled. Are you hungry? But what they said instead, because their hearts were hard, because they didn't love God, they said, you're hungry? Too bad, it's the Sabbath. but compassionate hearts, hearts who know God and love God would have said, come to my house and eat your fill. Mercy intervenes. Know what it means, people of God, that God loves mercy more than sacrifice. Sabbath event number two, the man with the withered hand. Who is Jesus? Well, there's double emphasis here. He's not only Lord of the Sabbath, but he is Lord over every illness and disease. And when God chooses to heal, it happens. He's Lord over it. And we, in this story of the man with the withered hand, we see how merciful and loving our God is. God is not so mean as the world would like to think, and we need to show that to be true. You know, the Pharisees weren't totally against healing on the Sabbath, by the way. Here was a rule. If it was life-threatening, you could heal on the Sabbath or help heal. But if it could wait, then you shouldn't heal on the Sabbath. So it was kind of like this. <laughs> You're sick, you're about, but you're not going to die today. You're miserable. Well, just tough it out till tomorrow. <laughs> Isn't that so nice? The Jewish religious rulers knew their laws were a burden from their own words. I think I have it up on the PowerPoint. The rules about the Sabbath are mountains hanging by a hair, for the scripture is scanty and the rules many. Isn't that interesting? We love our rules. And Luke, the doctor now, they know that there's this burden. And Luke points out, because he was a doctor, that the right man's arm, hand, 
was withered. That's a word, withered was used, a term for plants or for wood. So you can picture, you know, that plant in your house that needs water and you haven't done that, what it looks like. Withered. That's what this man's hand looked like. It was withered. And the right hand was generally, it would be for me, the main hand I need to do work. I need both hands, but without my right hand, uh, I'm really in trouble. So here was a man who probably couldn't make a good livelihood anymore. I don't know what the story was, but he needed his right hands. And the Pharisees were watching to see what Jesus would do. Would he heal on the Sabbath? Because, you know, this could wait until the next day. And Jesus challenges them. What does he say? In verse 8, And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to destroy it? There was no answer. Choose. Is it right or wrong to heal on the Sabbath? No response. They didn't answer, so Jesus said, there isn't an option. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm God. I'm the Messiah. That was his claim. And he said, stretch out your hand. I don't know how a man can stretch a withered hand out. But he obeyed. And in the instant that he did that, the hand was healed. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Who is Jesus? Do you have any doubts? Well, maybe you doubt this story is true, but Luke asked eyewitnesses about it. This is the truth. Jesus is the Lord over life. He's the creator. He's the Lord over the Sabbath. He's Lord over your life and mine. Choose to humbly bow under his leadership. Would you do that? See how compassionate he is and loving compared to people God is so much more merciful and gentle and compassionate and patient compared to who we are with one another. See who your God is and learn what it means to be merciful the way God is merciful. You know what James said, right? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed or lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, Go in peace and be warm and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? Learn what it means to love mercy like God loves mercy. Learn what not to do by watching the Pharisees. You know, there's good examples, Jesus, and then there's Good, bad examples. Okay, does that make sense? Good, bad examples. The Pharisees are good, bad examples. The man is instantly healed, and what do they do? Instead of rejoicing and praising God and saying, wow, who is Jesus? Where did he get this power? They're looking to condemn him. They should have been rejoicing and praising God, but instead they're fighting against God. They're fighting against God's anointed. They're resisting. Don't resist. Is Jesus Lord of all, yes or no? By the way, what is the Sabbath purpose? Why did God give so many commands to keep the seventh day holy and not to ignore it? The Sabbath is a day to enjoy God. That's why God made it, to worship God. 
to have our body and soul and spirit refreshed. The Sabbath is to be a day to reflect and to reset our direction, to look back over our last week and to say, wow, look at the good work that we accomplished for God's glory together. Or to say, I really have messed up. I could have done better. And to reset our direction, you know, to get like true north on our life compasses so we're headed in the right direction, so we're doing God's work. It's a day to recreate, to rest. It's a change of pace day. Does it have to be Saturday? No. Must it be Sunday? No. Don't have time to look into it. We could have a great discussion about Sabbath and Sabbath rest together. That would be better probably in a discussion format. But don't ignore resting. Don't ignore having a day set apart to reset with God, to worship him and to worship him together and to reset your life in the right direction, to evaluate and to enjoy what you have. Don't ignore it. Spiritual danger. Spiritual danger number one, this is the least likely, but it could be a problem, that we become like the Pharisees, make all these rules. Okay, you can shop for food on, on the Lord's Day, but you can't get snacks or ice cream. Okay, that would be a Pharisaical kind of thing, right? You get that. All these rules, that's okay. You can dance like this, but you can't go crazy. You know, it, it, that would be, we laugh, but that's what it was like. That's what they did. They didn't understand the reason for the Sabbath. Making up a long list of the do's and don'ts. But the more likely spiritual danger is that we forget God, that we forget the rest, that we forget dialoguing and enjoying God and worshiping God and reevaluating our lives and resetting to make sure we're in step with God. No day of rest, no quietness. It's just like every other day. And God set it up so that we wouldn't do that. The Sabbath rules have changed because of the new covenant, because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, but we still need a day of rest, a change of pace day, a day where we remember God and worship him. God created the Sabbath for us, not to punish us, but to rejuvenate us, to give us life, to reconnect with our God. Who is Jesus? He's Lord of all. He's Lord of the Sabbath. He's Lord over diseases. He's Lord over the church. Real quickly, let's read verses 12 through 16. In those days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night, he continued in prayer to God. And when the day came, he called his disciples and chose from from them twelve, whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Jesus is Lord of the church. Where do we get that from this? <laughs> We're with Jesus in the school of prayer. And here is Jesus praying, and he's praying fervently. He's having, he always had a lot of conversations with God the Father, but here it's telling us that he prayed all night. And I want you to know, 
that indicates that Jesus didn't do that all the time because Jesus was also a human and he needed sleep like you and I need sleep. So he didn't stay up every night and pray. Don't get that idea. But these circumstances were calling for him to be up all night to pray. So it must have been a pressing situation. This was not the usual routine. And what was happening so that Jesus would dare or have be compelled, excuse me, be compelled to pray all night? Well, for one thing, it was a growing opposition. It was a threatening climate. The, the Pharisees were after him, trying to accuse him, trying to uh, break up his ministry. So he needed to pray. He could be getting discouraged. Do you ever get discouraged when you're doing God's work and yet there's resistance? Nothing seems to be happening. It's easy to get discouraged. Jesus knows that feeling because even though he was God, he was also God the Son, the man. And he felt that like we do. He understands it. Maybe there was a temptation to compromise his mission, to do things differently so people wouldn't get so mad at him, angry at him. So he needed strength from the Father and the Spirit to stay on mission for God. But he also was praying all night, not only because maybe of the trouble that was coming his way, but because he was choosing the 12 disciples, 12 men who were the ones, the key leaders of the future church. So you would be carefully praying about who and what. And, and Luke identifies them as apostles, and apostles just means they're messengers. And when they're out on their mission, they have the authority of the one who sent them. Do you know we have that authority too, even though we might not be the apostles? All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, Jesus said, so go and make disciples. Disciples are more than students. A disciple has a personal attachment and commitment that goes beyond being a learner. Are you a student of Jesus Christ? That's a really good thing to be. Would you dare identify yourself as a disciple of Jesus? That's more than learning about Jesus. That's learning about Jesus so that you can imitate Jesus. That's learning about Jesus so that people see Jesus in you. So a good disciple is a student who learns to imitate their Lord more and more. Jesus prayed a lot. Prayer and leadership. How careless we are when it comes to praying for one another. Sometimes we are careless when we maybe pray for leaders, church leaders, but then we don't pray for them after they're taking over ministry. And I want to thank you for all of you who pray fervently for leaders here at Grace Chapel, whether it's our children's teachers and leaders, our youth leaders, our women's ministry leaders, men's ministry leaders, the deacons, the elders, for me, we need your prayers. But we need to pray for all of us, one another, so we learn from Jesus. He prayed so intensely. He prayed all night before he chose the 12. But do you know he prayed for the 12 intensely during his ministry? 
Do you remember what he said to Peter? The devil wants to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that you will stand. That's what he's doing for us right now, believers. He's intercessing before the Father, coming between us and the Father. He's praying for us. He's working for us. I love what Samuel said to the people who he was very, who had kind of betrayed him, Samuel the great leader, who, who weren't listening to his words even though he was sent from God. Samuel said, moreover, as for me, far be it for me that I sin against the Lord and cease to pray for you. Learning to pray. One other quick thought. Lessons from Judas. Judas Iscariot. Maybe that's one of the reasons Jesus was praying so intensely. Can you imagine choosing your 12? And I, I don't know if Jesus at that moment knew who Judas was. I believe he did. How could Judas the traitor be a part of the Father's good, pleasing, and perfect will? Have you ever asked yourself that question? We rarely ponder that truth. That trouble, that difficult situations are part of God's good, pleasing, and perfect will for us. Listen to Isaiah about speaking about Jesus. Talk about difficulties. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him and to put him to grief. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him, the chastisement was upon him the chastisement that brought us peace. So yes, God's good, perfect, God's good, perfect will sometimes brings pain into our lives. So there will be a Judas Iscariot sometimes in our lives, like Paul had the thorn in the flesh. And why did God allow that trouble in Paul's life? To keep him humble and to show God's might in Paul's weakness. What else do we learn from Judas? One of the 12, one of the trusted. Not everyone who's a team player, not everyone is a team player, even though they appear to be. You know, the other 11 were surprised that Judas was the betrayer. He knew how to play the game. Don't be like Judas. Close association with Jesus does not mean the heart has changed. You can rub shoulders with Jesus and never be changed if you don't surrender to him as your God and Savior. Such a diverse group of men. <laughs> Look at us. <laughs> what a diverse group of people that God has called together. And what's our common bond? What do we have in common? If nothing else, hopefully it's the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of all. Was Jesus a good leader? The best leaders prepare others to carry on God's mission after they depart. And a good leader is someone, well, let's put it this way. What happens after a leader is gone, 
tells us as much about their leadership as when they were there. And look at what those humble disciples accomplished for Christ by the power of Christ through their belief in Christ. It's amazing. Jesus Christ is pleased to build up his kingdom through the diverse diversity that's represented here and around the world for his glory. Be a part of it. Jesus is Lord of all. Let me close with this doxology. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. The Lord of all has called and chosen. And if he's called and chosen you, then follow him fearlessly. Our common bond is Jesus, and there's no other Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Lord God, I ask you to open our eyes so that we can see you, Lord Jesus, in all your glory, so we don't hesitate to claim you as our Lord and that you are the Lord of all. Lord, give us faith so that we believe that. Pour out your mercy on us so that we learn to pour out your mercy on others who may not deserve it, but that you call us to so that you and your great compassion and love and forgiveness and your holiness and greatness is seen. Lord God, I ask you to draw us closer every day to walk with you for the glory of God. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.